But you could call me the can man, because anybody can get it. Unbelievable! Dana! 60 G's, baby! <laughs> Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler! Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byer and today I'm joined by Tom Kennett, Alex Jones and Jack Harper. We've got an uh, interesting one today. I've actually got a lack of intro here because, I mean, we know the football results yesterday didn't quite go to plan. So I thought it was going to be a fairly negative toned <laughs> podcast as it was. So I've actually found some of the uh, top 50 gripes for all British people. And I thought if anyone has anything they want to get off their chest this morning... This could be something you can do somewhat of an uh, unravelling before we uh, continue on to the football. I'll see if I start with a personal one for myself. Old people on public transport, and I've been preaching this for years. They can say how rude this younger generation is. No one is ruder than queuing an hour for a bus, only to be shoved in front of with no such as a thank you. I'd, I'd, I'd probably give a little gesture of my hand to say, go on in front of me, but... When you push in front, then I might try and shuffle in front of you uh, just at the last second because it does my head in. As someone who gets buses regularly, I experience it all too much. They're such an entitled bunch. You know, everyone says millennials are entitled, but old people are the most entitled fucking... And the ones around now, they didn't survive the fucking World War. They didn't... They don't listen to any of that. They're too young to have done that, so they had all the good things without any of the shit, yet they'll make out that they had it so much harder than you. Piss off. Along the same lines, I just can't stand it when they're they're adamant that they know best and they know right, and yeah. like that we can't possibly be right because we're too young to be right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's famously said that this whole Brexit scenario is that we uh, made it through the war. Oh, yeah, we made it through the war. I think the war's quite famous for people not making it through the war. <laughs> so it's the kind of viewpoint is a bit skewed on that one. I think. Having said that, I would rather they get public transport because a personal gripe of mine is when they fucking drive. Just, they should just stop. I don't know if the cut-off point is like 60 maybe or what, but it's without fail, just dangerous drivers. Not because they're going too fast, the opposite. They're going up 10 miles an hour. You could actually walk quicker. Just get off the fucking road. Yeah, I, I'm all on the bandwagon of once you turn 60, maybe even 50, retest. <laughs> <laughs> maybe even retest. I've had too many close shaves on like on the road and they're all old people that I've had the close shaves with. The other day, I was a woman in front of me who... Whereas basically the sun was just at that level where it's in your eyes straight away as you come around the corner. Whereas everyone else might, I don't know, put the visor down, try and manoeuvre around it. She literally just stopped. She was just an emergency stop. So I was like, I'm going to have to go around you because you're absolute chaos. I don't know what their insistence with driving everywhere in second gear is either. It's like, I can't change gear unless I'm maxing out 6,000 RPM. Just sounding like a, like a hedge trimmer driving around on the road. Well, I mean, we've started with my gripe and we've moved it into a gripe which I can't actually join in with due to, <laughs> due to not driving. I mean, some other ones on the list then was um, bad customer service, which I don't know why people don't go straight to the self-checkouts now if, if there is one. Yeah. But this actually goes in with um, 
old people and if there's one thing worse than queuing it's people who make the little kind of like comments under their breath what they're doing so it's like we're all here <laughs> yesterday after the game already in a foul mood queuing up in this uh, petrol station just to get a quick meal deal before trotting off home the queue there was like one bloke on the till and it was going around the aisle and this bloke just stood in there and he must have gone on about three times he was like oh be queuing from here to Barnet soon <laughs> I'll tell you what I might be able to go and fill the petrol up myself come back in and if I just pay for it in pennies then I'll just have it on the side ready for when uh when a cashier gets back here. So we're all waiting here. <laughs> I think that follows on to one of my favourite gripes, is that when you people insist on doing their weekly shop in like an M&S or a Tesco Express garage, so you've gone in there to fill up 10 quid because you you're in a rush. You don't want to fill up a full tank. And you get in there and you've got Doris with bloody two two shopping baskets full of, full of shopping in there. And you just think, why? What is the need? I had that on route to the pod last week. I was... Just calling to the petrol station. I was literally, I don't think I'd have made it without getting there. And this bloke is literally in he- ahead of me doing his weekly shop. And I, I mean, in in fairness, I think he maybe wasn't all there, so maybe I shouldn't call him out too much. But well, he's been called out now. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. Uh, like along the lines of queuing, I think one of the worst places you can go for it. And thank God there are better systems in place now. But the times that those systems fail and you have no choice is queuing at the cinema. The people who get to the front of the kiosk and are there not knowing what film they want to watch and then can't make a decision on which bloody seat they want to sit down on, then deciding what they want to eat. And it's like, we've all got showings to get to here. It's like the slowest process. It was a pre-booking. Well, well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for, for Endgame, me and Sam went to the midnight one and it was a double bill. And we essentially, we watched a Manchester derby and then go to the later one. And I emailed them to say, look, just check us all right and all this. And they said, yeah, the film is going to start at 25 to 12. So make sure you're in a bit before that and you'll be fine. Did all that. There's a massive queue when we came in. So Sam was like, oh, well, we've only got about 10 minutes. So I won't get any drink. Sat down. Half an hour has passed. The film still hasn't started. <laughs> Went out at five past 12 after they told me to make sure I'm in promptly. And so he's just been sat there with the queue being, had to keep going back gradually to check. And the queue was still just not moving at all. You would think the biggest film of the year, you're going to get every till loaded with people. And people clearly still... Uh, didn't go in. I know people are complaining because they've taken the ice blast out of the cinema now and that seems to be a big gripe for people. It's not that big of a gripe for me. I mean, if you're still spending three quid on a drink each time. It's when the guy, it's when the uh, the people at the kiosk, they once they've got past the point of, you know, the customer's chosen what they want, they then go on and like, would you also like this? And when they try, <laughs> they preach, like, go for the further sale. It's like, shut up and move on. Yeah, <laughs> And whilst this is all going on, it's like when you've got such a long kiosk at the cinema with like eight different servers on there, you've got eight separate queues. So it becomes this kind of tentious battle as to <laughs> who's going to get served first, who can get in the queue first. You're like looking along the line, looking at everyone's like, right, what's the ordering? Right, I'll get a smaller version of that. I reckon I'll get straight in that queue. Going, going along the lines with um, food, I saw one of those Facebook adverts this week for someone saying that they were going to put make these curtains to go over people's mouths, the people who... <laughs> eat with their mouths open <laughs> just eat with your mouth shut <laughs> I don't understand people at this age once you're over the age of about one and a half you should be eating with your mouth shut what this is a genuine thing it's it was probably like somewhat of a parody people like tagging their mates like oh we'll have to get this for you it's like if your mate does this cut them off because they should be grown up at this point to be able to eat with their mouth shut and not make noise while they eat People that chomp and breathe loudly and all sorts when they're eating. 
you should have mastered eating by the age of about twenty, surely. <laughs> so I was on um, I was on a course uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with just two other guys. Uh, it's just it's one room, and uh, it was this. He basically, and it, it was weird because he didn't do this with every warm drink or every drink. He just did it with a cup of tea, and he was there, sat with his tea, and he was like slurping it. And it was like properly slurping, and we're like there, sat in silence, cracking on with our work and stuff like that. And he's like there, like, and it's like I, I'm literally there, like. And as soon as you clock it and it starts to annoy you, that's it. There's no yeah, going back from yeah, there. True. There's got to be a certain boundary when you kind of encounter situations like that where you should be allowed just to smack someone. <laughs> like it should be, it should be law. It's just if, if they aren't going to learn another way, then they need to learn by your fist. Do you not? Do you not think with? Um, kids in public places like I was getting the coach back from the game in the week and there was a kid that was crying like I got there at 11 my coach was at 12 thankfully the kid wasn't on my coach because it was still crying at 12 getting on another coach a proper like screaming cry and I feel like when it's a baby you kind of feel like alright it's a baby once it no longer looks like a baby whether it's <laughs> one whether it's like four you then looking at the parents like it's your job to shut <laughs> yeah. this up now yeah. I've said before that you should get muzzles for kids because <laughs> no one else, no one else should have to deal with everyone else. Like a kid screaming. If I was on that midnight coach back and there was a kid screaming the old journey back, I mean, savage enough actually for a parent to have their kid on that midnight coach <laughs> because it's brutal for most people. I think, I think a muzzle's a bit de like, you know, it dehumanizes them. I think just a dab of chloroform is probably the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen a, we've seen a, you got a glimpse into what Alex does outside of the, outside of the pod here. Woe betide his children. He gave me a lift after the podcast last week. I tried to put something in his boot and I've never seen him move so quickly. <laughs> All right, a cu- couple more things then. Um, lateness would be one which uh, TK would be the first one I'd look to. Jack, I know, has a reputation for the same thing. <laughs> Alex has actually turned into one of those early ones who... Which, I used to be, which people do say is arguably worse than being the late person. If you turn up at someone's door, if it's a public place, I can uh, understand it. I think I've turned into a bit of an early one recently because I've just, I've been too close to being late. And I just like, I need that. I need, I've improved that threshold. I don't want to, I can't be late. Want my look when he gets in the door. <laughs> what, what's everyone's thoughts on him? Um, like paying for the optician, the dentist and that, because I know we kind of take the NHS for what it is. It is free, as okay of a job as they do. Won't go too overboard. But the dentist, so last time I went was a fair while ago. I had an issue, went in, and they kind of saw me and they said, look, well, if you don't start coming in for regular checkups, then we just aren't going to see you. <laughs> I thought, well, if I've got not got an issue, I don't want to pay 20 quid for the privilege of you telling me you haven't got an issue. So if, if they're... If I'm going in, I almost want there to be one. Get your money's worth. I've I've said I've said before. I'll, go, I'll reveal a lot on this podcast. This may be the most in detail. Yeah, I went to the doctors once. Those adverts scared me where they say check yourself for lumps and all sorts. Convinced myself clearly that there actually wasn't one there. I'm still here today. <laughs> went in. Uh, the the bloke had a little copper feel and all this. He looked at me like disgusted, like that he hadn't found something. Like I've gone to the effort here of having a feel of you. <laughs> And it was all for nothing. You're one of those um, medical tourists that they're on about. They just go around getting, <laughs> getting themselves cops and peels. <laughs> I mean, he made me feel bad after. He's like, I didn't feel anything. 
<laughs> I'm sure there was one I mean, there yesterday. Yeah. What a callous man. That was a great experience for you. <laughs> Can't tell he doesn't feel anything. Don't want to make an eye contact after <laughs> that. And Do you go back to the same doctor afterwards? So if you've got like a sore throat or um, like a chesty cough or something and you go there and you both know that he's touched you there. <laughs> and there's that kind of mutual understanding of let's not mention it. You, you don't want to go to him with a sore throat, I don't feel. <laughs> yeah. You don't want he's got a diagnosis. Yeah, um, got, I've got a sore throat, uh, doctor. Okay, whip the trousers off then. <laughs> Maybe that's why he hasn't seen me since. <laughs> um, fo- a final one for me, anyone else can chuck anything in after him. Um, birds on social media. We were, we were speaking about oh, this yesterday. It, it's, it's going too far. The... Six pic- six pictures where so I don't know which one to pick yet. They all look the same. A boomerang, which you have to put yourself in the position to know. In some of these public places, people have genuinely stopped and done this little shuffle around so someone can film a boomerang just for them to put on Instagram. I've no looked at a boomerang and gone, oh, let me, look, let me watch that again. <laughs> yeah. Let me watch you cheers your drinks together <laughs> again. <laughs> what is this newfound yeah. phenomenon? <laughs> it's, like, it's the evolution of the previous putting their shoes in a circle <laughs> with oh, a snapshot oh, yeah. of everyone's shoes in a circle. All their different coloured converses. This is where natural selection needs to take its course. If they analyse just social media, if there's a figurative bloke who is natural selection and he can just analyse <laughs> social media, just wipe people out for some of these tweets. Well, uh, we, you're the Tinder ha- version. You're going to have no white women left. <laughs> every white woman has just been wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a kind of Julius Caesar thumb. It's like, uh, no, you're gone. Just go, just, just the same, the same account. I swear, it's just one that same account and a different name, and we're gonna put the same captions, the same stupid pictures. Yeah. You don't need anything like Julius Caesar was. You just need to hit him with their own thing of like, just do a Tinder of swipe left, swipe right. That's that's natural <laughs> well, selection. I'll tell you what, Alex. Just clicks and all these girls get wiped out. I think if if there was natural selection taken at social media, Alex, I would be <laughs> saying say my prayers. I have famously <laughs> said I can tell all I need to know from that photo. Yeah. <laughs> all right. If maybe this will be a feature of the week now, we'll have a we'll each have a gripe each, each week, yeah. get it off our chest, and then uh, continue <laughs> continue onwards. Um, so now then, on onto the football. We've got a, we've got a Liverpool fan here, an Arsenal fan, a Chelsea fan, and a Spurs fan. I'm probably the only one actually not happy following the weekend and Spurs didn't even win. Um, I mean, if we were doing this yesterday, it probably would have been in a, in a different tone because... You'd have been mugging Spurs. Look, I mean, I'll start, I'll, I'll, I'll start off. This is the thing. So before the game started with Arsenal, United drew a Huddersfield and I said to the lads I was with, look, I can't laugh because I know what's probably going to happen. <laughs> the week before they got battered by Everton, I laughed and we lost 3-2 to Palace. Have you noticed this is a season that no one's got excited about the race for top four? Because it's not a case of, right, we're the best out of the rest. We're the best I actually did get excited I briefly. Yeah. But this is the thing. As a Chelsea fan this year, I just haven't allowed myself to. When you think that we've picked up... I know we beat Watford yesterday. But before that, we've picked up two points out of a possible 12. <laughs> and we still managed to go from sixth to, set, like sixth to third. Sorry. Yeah, Arsenal have four from the last 18. <laughs> uh, like, I just want to say... I was right. That, that was my prediction. 
Arsenal and United wouldn't get it and Chelsea would somehow sneak in. You predicted United to win the league and the Champions League. This is the most recent update. <laughs> I was right about United this time. <laughs> and I was right about Solskjaer. But no, but I think it literally, I said in the group chat the other day, like it has literally been a game of who's been the best, who could be the, the least worst shit show because it has been terrible. I mean, like I, I mean, what, we've got top four now, but I, I can't, I can't feel like I can go and rub it in any Arsenal fans' face because it was just like it's been a complete shit show all round. If if we if we start Arsenal and we go we'll we'll go around the clubs because otherwise I think there'll be a mishmash and we we can end up anywhere. Yeah. I mean, be you're welcome to cut me off at any point and question anything I'm saying because each otherwise I can I probably will just go on. I've been waiting for this all day. (laughs) I I couldn't sleep last night with the excitement of this rant. I felt bad first of all. So it was Ramsey's last time at the Emirates. They were going to do his presentation for him after the game. Should have done it at halftime when we were one nil up really because after the game I think there was anonymous cry of "fuck this." I'm not putting up with this. I got out there very quickly. I knew well, but I knew uh, Ramsey was going. I could have said goodbye to Welbs. During the game, I was like, we need to keep him now, looking at this. <laughs> and they finished the game, and he's going as well. Oh, no. I mean, taking down, I've tried to be positive as much as possible throughout the season. There's been points where I thought, look, it's a new manager, this, that, this, that. First of all, it's clear there's too much deadwood at the club. If I was to highlight two, Mustafi and Xhaka. If it's not one, it's the other. <laughs> or both. Xhaka yesterday. Does... We're 1-0 we're up. I, I won't say cruising. We went 1-0 up and I said to the lad I was with, look, we need to get a second here because these teams, you let them get in the game and they start to get up for the fight here because Brighton didn't really have anything to play for apart from just to get a point off Arsenal. Yeah. Glenn Murray scores against us every time. It's hard to be horrible because he, he looks like actually a genuinely nice bloke. So I don't want to be too harsh on him. He looks like just a bloke you could bump into with Arsenal the time or something and you wouldn't feel too intimidated. <laughs> 14 Premier League goals he's got this year, Glenn Murray. Like, where has that come from? Yeah, they're all like, against... I, was, I heard that stat yesterday. I was like, how on earth has that happened? He pops up on pens, which does him a favour. And then the rest of the time, he is the equivalent of me playing Wembley. He doesn't do any of the hard work. He just lets everyone else do it. And then if you if someone says, name a Brighton player, I'm like, oh, Glenn Murray. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. The only other bloke on it was Yahan Baksh because I had a... 10 minute conversation with my taxi driver on Thursday telling me how he was the pride of Morocco <laughs> which he is so he's factually correct um, I mean if those two are still there next year I dread to think he actually loves Xhaka so he or he almost there. certainly will still yeah. be there if you look at Arsenal that that's the fourth and fifth most expensive players at the club that's a combined 70 million on Xhaka and Mustafi and we'll get on to spending money later, so they may be contradictory, but we'll uh, we'll address that. I feel like Emery, I've given him a pass for the most part. Yesterday was the final straw. I was, I'm, honestly, it, it shouldn't take you a season to know who your best team is. People keep saying, oh, he doesn't know who his best team is. You've had a season. Yeah. I can watch Mustafi for one week <laughs> and tell you he's not your guy. Yeah. If you listen to Neville, he was saying at Valencia, they were trying to get rid of Mustafi and nobody would take him. Arsenal going, we'll give you 35 million for him. <laughs> you can't My, feel bad for the guy though, have you? You've really got to feel bad for the guy. I mean, I feel bad because he, he hasn't had, he wasn't given a, a good start to deal with. So he was given 50 million and told, essentially, take this team into the top four, which he, he could have done with better management, which is which is my my thing. At the start, 
for the first, say, quarter of the season where you kept making the subs at half-time, it's like, fair enough, you are wondering what your best team is. Dropped Ertzil, tried bringing Mkhitaryan in, didn't work that, switched to five at the back, and then he stuck with that, which, when you have five awful defenders playing five at the back, seems like... <laughs> yeah, play to your strengths, man. Yeah. If, 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 I had an awful analogy there, so I'll just carry on. Yeah. <laughs> um, the way he sets us up, he sets us up like we're a small team. Sets us up to keep it as tight as possible and nick the game. At home, you shouldn't be trying to nick the game. We go into these games with like Brighton. So we've got one point from our last games against Leicester, Wolves, Brighton, Palace. Something else in there as well. But if you're setting up like that, he sets up to try and be tight press and just make it difficult for the other team. If if you're beating, we've beaten Chelsea this season, we've beaten Spurs this season, we've beaten United this season, we've drawn with Liverpool this season. Our issue before was beating those top teams and then losing to everyone else. And he, he set us up so. Gwendozi is he? Here's what he is. Like, he, I'm not going to go. Some of these blokes are saying like that. This is a future like yeah. world class midfielder. He he puts himself about his game, and that's probably what he's going to be for his for his career you shouldn't be having to rely on a 19 year old he's only played in the second French League 2 we call the top French League a Farmers League imagine what that second one's like Christ and he missed half a season because he uh, was revolting over there so they said right we won't play you then so he's had even less experience than that and you look at these guys like Ertzil Mkhitaryan and he can't do anything about that he's stuck with an aging Ertzil on 350 bags a week He's got Mkhitaryan on 200 grand a week. But Lacazette and Aubameyang are clearly the blokes that you build your team around. And one of them's 30, the other one's 29, I think. It's a pretty limited time, so they need to look at Emery and say, look, are you the guy to get us this far? I'm not saying sack him now, but I'm saying that people saying you can't judge him yet. It's If he was at Chelsea, he'd have been sacked by now. We're talking, well, about, we're talking about we, sacking we, Sarri. We say that. And he's going to yeah. come third. United, pe- they, they keep saying we don't want to become one of these teams that just sack your managers when it goes wrong. If anything, in, in the long run, it's going to come out top because why would you give a, a bloke money to spend if you don't trust yeah, him really. to deal with? See, that's the thing it comes on to. So, Chelsea is exactly one of those clubs where we've had three, four managers in the past five years. And we've got a collection of players from other managers, other regimes, that aren't currently wanted. You've got your drink waters on 120 grand a week. You've got Bakayoko on loan, who costs 30 mil. You've got Morata on loan, who costs 60 mil. So it's like that's the thing. If you do sack your managers, you're going to have loads of devils. I would say that at least with Chelsea, the managers are given like a fair crack to go on and at least say, look, make this team your own now, because if it doesn't go well, then you know it's on the line. At Arsenal, you must know you've got a free pass for at least, say, two years. And so I say the owner hasn't backed us. The usual thing is, well, look, you spent 60 million on Aubameyang, 40 million on Lacazette, 35 on Xhaka, 30 on Mustafi. The the issue is doing one player at a time is never going to change the team as it is. So Liverpool had gradually spent the money with Klopp there, and we'll get onto them, so I won't go completely into them, but... At that point, it was then identified, look, we've got a reasonably good squad here. We need a centre-back and a goalie to get us over the line. Because they'd built it up over that time, one thing wasn't going to make a change. And they said, well, look, it's going to make a change now if we spunk on a keeper and a centre-back. Arsenal's chucking 
Well, they say that we're going to need to get about seven new players in this year. If you think Ramsey's going, Czech's going, thank God. Frost. <laughs> Garbage he is. Tw- is. Tw- 20 points a season, we were told he's going to give us extra. It went the opposite way. <laughs> he, saved, he saved one penalty and he wanted to give him a statue outside the ground. We've got Lichsteiner, who's definitely going to be going. Well, I hope, I hope honestly. He started yesterday, so that's my main thing. Why Emery was like, you're on the chopping board now. <laughs> Monreal's out of contract. Uh, Welbeck's going, so that's what six players already. And then you say that we're going to need more on top of that. They're saying that our transfer budget, if we don't make the Champions League, is forty million pounds. That gets you a Bakayoko in a quarter. <laughs> so we're going to be spending like five million on on replacements. Emery said in an interview the other day, he said, "Well, look, the Ramsey replacement could be one that we uh, replace in the transfer market, or oh, no. it could be someone we already have from within the club." He's definitely looking at Gwendouzi. I know he is. I know he's looking at Gwendouzi, who is not a Ramsey replacement. No. you got to look at then your top players. Ertzil. So some Arsenal fans uh, Arsenal, some Arsenal fans defend Ertzil more than they defended Wenger, which is mental, because at least <laughs> Wenger actually brought someone to the club beforehand. Ertzil gives you a little show every five, six games, and the people that slate him, nobody ever denies that he is world-class. But... I was speaking on the way back yesterday and I said, I'm I'm sick of having players in an Arsenal squad and being told what they can do. Yeah. At this point, if you're not proving it on the pitch, then what's the point in having you here? There's no point spending 500,000 on a car to be told, well, look, it has, it, it can fly you into space. <laughs> it can go on water, but you don't ever get to see that. They just say, well, it has, if you need to, it's got the capability there to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Like just like a couple of things I want you to address. So first of all, with the transfer, uh, with the transfer window, I mean, even if like you know you don't get your Champions League, and even if you do get Champions League and that budget goes up, I think with the six players that you've definitely I think got, we can rule that out. If 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 Spurs lose one nil, we have to win eight nil. No, no, you're a plea. We'll get we'll get onto that. Get onto that. But it's even if even if your your budget is you know above a hundred million, and you've but you've lost those six players, I think you've got too much work to do to have what you deem as a successful transfer window I mean even the teams with these ridiculous budgets haven't managed to turn around that many players and bring that many players in in one go bar maybe Man City but you're just not going to do that it's not going to happen and then the elephant in the room is you're still in the Europa and you still could qualify for the Champions League through a trophy Um, and I mean if you were to put it if you were to just disregard of I wouldn't back them to beat Valencia away just just, just, just put that for a moment because if you were to take, just disregard all the results in the Premier League recently and just think of it like raw of what it is. If would you rather get into the Champions League by winning the Europa or just getting through the top four? You'd take Europa surely because it's a trophy. I don't, I don't know. I'd... And like winning and and winning a final builds more character into the players that you might keep than just scraping at, through. At this top point, four. it feels like winning the Europa is going to be papering over the cracks, and then. I think the board are going to say, well, look, you got into the Champions League with this. You clearly don't need that much investment on top of it. So winning the Europa is one step further than Arsene Wenger was managing to get for you in the well, same situation. And like, I mean, this season was all about... Cups. This season was like realistically all about hopefully bottoming, bottoming out and then starting to build. It was never going to be a building season for you. As we've kind of said before, though, I don't think it had to be a choice between 
qualify via the Europa League all the top four. You should beat Brighton at home and it shouldn't be kind of, then it should be all on, right, can Spurs sort of handle their nervy against Everton next week and then we'll be there to sort of capitalise, which obviously isn't the case now. But I think it's, the, the problem for him, this summer is almost like, because you said, because the, the turnover of players you're going to have, it's almost like his first window now in terms of the rebuild job is, is almost like it's, the last one's forgotten about and you've got a whole other rebuild on your hands. And I, I do get the impression amongst Arsenal fans that I don't think necessarily some are saying to sack him, but if he got sacked tomorrow, nobody would be too upset. Every, if it happened tomorrow, I think it'd be, all right, we'll see who else we can get. There seems to be a lack of, uh, I don't know, feeling towards him is sort of what I mean, but there doesn't seem to be too much connection to him. Well, I think part of it would be that you don't trust the board to actually get someone else decent in, it would be the links with Omri and Arteta again. Oh, Christ. I mean, Bummery was trending yesterday after the game. <laughs> that doesn't tell you something. He he just looks confused. He just looks like... And what I will say is his recruitment so far with the resources haven't been bad. So Gwenduzi hasn't been bad. In fact, he's overperformed for what we spent on him. A couple of million is pretty uh, mental in that spin. Leno, I think, was 16 million. He's been better than I thought he would be after seeing him the first couple of games. Yeah. Uh, Socrates is our best defender. Yeah. He has a rash game. I, say, I mean, he's got the most yellow cards of any Arsenal player ever in a Premier League season. But <laughs> I think, I think No, I think that's what we need. And if anything, it kind of scares some players into uh, doing a bit better than they should do. You've got Torreira, who... I mean, some have been criticising him, but he is probably our best midfielder outside of Ramsey. He, I think he needs some more... He needs to know what he is. I don't know what he's being told, whether he's being told that you're a box-to-box, whether you're a defensive midfielder, because yesterday he was higher up than a Bamiyang at some points. And then, on to, who else has he brought in? Alex uh, Yeah. I think that's it for his recruitment. Yeah. That's that's it as far as so we need a winger desperately because it will be he's another one. You look at he's older than Sane. So stop telling me he's got all these bags of potential that's gonna come in. The bloke looks like his feet have been unscrewed and put on the opposite leg. <laughs> he he he's abysmal. Mikatarian. I said after the first game he had at the Emirates, and this was after he had a hat trick of assists, I said that he was a wimp then and is input gets less and less and less. You can't have him and Ertzel in the same team because it's like carrying two players. Ertzel, at least look like you're putting an effort in. I've said before, so Gwenduzi, I won't be too critical on because he is what he is. I don't think he's ever put in anything less than 100%. And I used to say this with Coquelin, I was like, he wasn't good enough for Arsenal, but I can't be too harsh on him because he's, he's performing to the peak of his ability. Ertzel, it's not going to hurt you to get a knock in the head every now and then to challenge for a header. He d- he actually now does that little thing where you kind of jump off the ground, but you know you don't want to win yeah, that header. Yeah, I know jump. because I used to do it myself, but I wasn't being paid three hundred and fifty grand a week. I'd have jumped in head first if I was. <laughs> Those games home to Brighton should be games where he can slice open the opposition. It's not like you know people have said, "Oh, he can't do it in a big game." These are the games where typically. He's going to pick up that little bit of space, and he's going to be the one that makes a difference against a team like Brighton, who are maybe coming to defend a little bit. And he's not even showing that now. Well, people excuse him, and they say that it's the rest of the players that they say, "Well, he can't do it all on his own." Nobody's asking him to, but he shies away from the ball. Yeah. I mean, we said we heard Matt Latissier saying about Ali Dia last week. 
<laughs> I'm not saying Ertz was Ali Dia, but at least look for the ball. He's hiding. He's hiding from it because he doesn't want to get a knock. And and the thing is as well, you're not like it's not you're asking him to be Torreira, for example. You're not asking him to go flying into challenges and to be that guy. It's, it's kind of like when Coutinho was at Liverpool. You knew he wasn't going to be that guy, but he did put a shift in. And I remember watching a game with you actually, and you said, "Oh, he's putting a shift in." I said, "He normally does tend to do that. He's he's obviously not going to be attack or anything like that, but." There's a minimum level of performance you can churn out, and I don't remember the last time I saw us or put that in. Well, if you go back to Liverpool a couple of seasons ago, so you were kind of nowhere. You were challenging for the top four. You weren't looking like you were going to be anywhere near the title. But at least your fans had to look back and say, "Well, I can look forward to watching Liverpool each week because they're going to play a fun game of football." Arsenal, it's been. The football's got worse. That's what I mean about setting up like a small team. It's a regression in terms of the style of play. I said to Jack yesterday, I've been to the I've been to the Emirates twenty three times this season. I've come away twice saying that Arsenal played well, and one of them was a draw. <laughs> we won three. We won three one in a European semi final on uh, Thursday. Anyone? That, what was a good game? No, dreadful. Nicked three goals, and other than that, it was just boring. Just slow sloppy play where they just got away with it. Arsenal have had a lot of luck this season. As much as some decisions have gone against them, they've had a lot of luck which has actually helped them to be where they are today. Because you're lucky that Chelsea have been sloping throughout the season. You're lucky that Spurs have, I mean, Chiellini, history of Tottenham. They, they'll they do anything they can to not get over the line. And Arsenal still let them get over the line. Lucky United have been more garbage yeah. as well. And they, they could finish the season above us. <laughs> That, that's the thing, like with Spurs, I mean, that's why I'm not too happy. It's like literally, uh, maybe for what, like, I mean, it's been said in the past that Spurs just, it was sort of said it towards the end of um, uh, last season. I think that elements this season where we were knocked out of like the cups and stuff like that. It's like some Spurs just don't have any luck sometimes. And I said, well, right now, I think we're getting a bloody lot of luck yeah, this season amazing. and we need to bloody capitalise on that. And the performances which I've seen in the last two games would indicate that, like, there we're not taking you're not utilizing i mean human son reacting like that i mean he's got that he's we the way that he reacts him he's got that in him but he it needs was, to know was, no that was a harsh red card it, it was but he needs to know what he he needs to know what he is and he needs to know what that sort of reaction is going to put the question marks on on the referee and it's the same with uh, like Foyth. Foyth oh, as well uh, just like what was he thinking it just oh, like it, it seemed it was it it was just a very unprofessional performance from spurs and don't get me wrong i mean I I was surprised we conceded in that final minute. I thought we were going to see it out. There was like a little brief flurry towards the end of uh, where we were actually challenging up the other end. I think, bloody hell, we might actually get a goal here. Um, but oh, it if, just came from the set piece in the end. It was. If we move, if we move on to Spurs now, then I would say that at least with Spurs, you're seeing some kind of progression. So you're in Champions League semi final, and you were challenging at one point to get slightly higher up in in the league. It mm. wasn't just top four. It, it slipped in the last couple of weeks, yeah. but. If Arsenal had finished fifth this season, but it looked like an improvement from last year, I don't think any Arsenal fan would have complained because nobody really expected the top four. It was only when it suddenly you looked and you thought, well, look at our running, look at everyone else's running. I assumed that Palace and Brighton were two bankers and then it was pick up at home. You looked at our home form. I'm worried about Palace. That's, that's the one I'm I worried mean, about. I mean, we hadn't lost to... Well, City were the only team we'd lost to at home mm. this this year. I thought, those two, it might be rough, but we're going to get past yeah. them. And then it was a case of 
win one or two of the other away games. I thought if you can nick Watford and you can nick maybe a point at Wolves at Leicester, then top four, you should. we'd probably have come in fourth. It it just looks like it's not moving anywhere. And so you've got to be ruthless in this. That's why I was saying about Monreal. Look, sure, he's a nice bloke. Been at Arsenal plenty of time. No room for sentimentality. But, and I'm sure he's going to get a new deal. Mm. The five captains thing as well, my, my final point in Arsenal, that really riles me. How can you line up yesterday with Ursula's captain? If half the time he's not good enough to be in his team, then half the time he can't be captain. The rest of the time, you give you give Shaka uh, the captain's armband. Christ, good example that is. Koscielny the captain's armband. I mean, he's broken. He literally takes a knock and he's down for God knows how long. He has to have about four injections in the week just to make it to the game. So... I mean, I'm not going to bother watching the last game of the season against Burnley. I'll watch the Europa game. But I feel like no matter what happens, it's going to be just a case of paper over the cracks and then we'll have the same again this summer. I'm sure we'll get one sighting, one signing to be excited about. and that'll be it. The Emirates Cup, they said they were bringing it back yesterday. They did an announcement of bringing the Emirates Cup back. In fact, it's not the Emirates Cup. Arsenal are playing a friendly against another European team and you can watch the women before. <laughs> won't be going to that on to Spurs then so yeah so I mean uh, so I'll bring in the Champions League performance as well um, like like you said I think Spurs are making a bet. they are making more of the situation well Pochettino is making more of the situation in terms of he's doing the best with what he's got I mean you have to just look at our bet like you have to look at our options on um, on the Tuesday uh, mid- midweek in the Champions League against um, uh, against Ajax I mean when we one nil down, um, we'll go on to the tactical error that he made at the start. But with what he had options wise off the bench, I mean, uh, literally without Son on the pitch or Kane, we are literally like a blunt sword. It is. It was awful. Um, there was just no, there was never going to a goal was not going to come from anywhere. I mean, Ali will get you a goal now and again. And Ericsson, this season, even though he got us that winner against Brighton the other the other weekend, he 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 hasn't been as prolific this year. And I don't think he's been as good. And typically, he looks like he's been, he's been strongly linked again with Real Madrid this morning. Um, but uh, but don't get me wrong; he's like essential for us at the moment. But it's you know he could. I think he, he looks could like do- he's switched off a bit to me. He has, yeah, yeah. Particularly in these games where Kane's been out, I think we spoke before about how he's kind of going to be the one of the worst ones you look to step up. And yeah, I don't yeah. think he has enough. Yeah, really. but the, yeah. So when we were sort of it was in the 60th minute against the Ajax, his options to try and do something to change it up and get us a winner was bring on Ben Davis. Uh, it's like we had nothing on the bench, absolutely nothing. And a lot of the time this season, he's had to, he's been in that situation. I mean, you go back to the City game and our options off the bench were terrible, especially when you're playing a side against City and you look at their options off the bench. So I think that's where you can give Pochettino a lot of credit in terms of he knows what he's got and he knows what's realistic, and he's done the best with what he can, um, and that's where I think the over, like the overachieving, overachieving sentiment comes in a bit. Uh, but in terms of with Ajax, he went. I think he knew that we were going to be basically like a blunt sword again without Son, um, who's been our best player this season, and he went out with a team which looked like he was going to try and just dictate the game and dictate possession. And not go at Ajax at all. Almost soak up pressure. Just control the play and see if he can generate enough chances for somebody like Deli Ali or Ericsson to get a goal. And that was completely the wrong thing to do. I get his. I I get why his, he may have thought that was his only option. But um, I mean, to not challenge a young Ajax side and just go at them, which turned out from 35 minutes onward was clearly the right choice. 
at that level in the semi-final, uh, that's cost us a goal. And now we have to go away. And I mean, if we play like we did with Sun, 35 minutes onwards, we managed to put a performance like that in, I think we can win. Yeah. But still, at that at this level now, I think the boys at top at the top at Tottenham need to look at the situation that Pochettino is in look at the situation that it forced him to make that he may or may not learn from the future and really make a decision on whether it's taken a gamble with a bit more money to give him some more options because right now when it if we're in a similar sort of situation against Barcelona they'll completely walk over us and it and that is going to this going to be situation that will prevent us from putting inconsistency to challenge for the title it's it's glaringly obvious when you look at it like that but yeah, I can kind of understand <clears throat> where they're coming from with the new stadium because we've heard that excuse with Arsenal for so so long that we need to pay off the stadium we can't spend any on players I think Tottenham have really missed a trick to be quite a dangerous team in the Premier League because like Alex quite rightly said you look at their options and they've just got they've got nothing there you come up against a team against Barcelona for example and yeah you're if you had a fully fully fit first 11 on the pitch put in a shift you could probably make a case for, well, I reckon they could do a job. But then when you're chasing the ball for as long as you are, if you do get to play Barcelona, then you look to your bench and you think, well, who have we got to really affect that game? And I think Daniel Levy really made a massive error last year. I know he had the stadium to open and that's been a big fiasco and you can praise Poch all you want, but they really should have invested last year, the only team in the football league not to bring in any transfers. It's just you really got to look at yourself and think and that's not a good decision. By all accounts, they did kind of put a few players towards him. Not, I don't think huge amount, but we're talking sort of like the 30 to 35 million sort of bracket and he turned them away. So yeah. I, I, I understand don't spend money for the sake of it, but the kind of, the option was there potentially not huge money, to, but to sign someone. And I think just even anyone in there, if you look at Liverpool's options, if they had the injuries Spurs had at times this season, they'd have probably been in quite a bit of trouble. If you take out any one of those front three, you're going to bring in someone like Sturridge or Origi. Okay, Origi obviously got the goal on the weekend or I don't know whichever way you look at it, but in a long-term thing, they're not going to be the option to have. So Liverpool have probably got a squad of maybe a couple of players better than Spurs. For example, Shakiri or whatever off the bench is a better option than what Spurs have predominantly got. But I don't think there's a lot in that. But if you look to the table, it would suggest very different. I think Luke said about um, the idea that Tottenham are progressing is sort of why they'll be happy in comparison to Arsenal. But if if you kind of take the the Champions League aside, I think the in terms of the league, I don't think you're seeing a huge amount of progression because they've got what seventy points last season. They got seventy seven. Season before that, they got eighty six. So in our minds, we're thinking look, he's building a building here, Poch. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we, I don't think that's that's kind of why you know earlier this season we mentioned about the overachieving thing. I was thinking they're kind of at where they've been at. This this is kind of I think where they are. I think they have been the third best team this season. So I think they should come third I think they have been the third best but it's the Champions League getting past City that is a real achievement and mm. that is a, a sign of progression so I'm not saying they haven't progressed I just mean this idea that we've got in the mind that, that Arsenal are kind of going nowhere and Spurs are progression at a, sort of a rapid sort of trajectory is, I think is a little bit muddled no, it's, it's far from a rapid trajectory. It's very steady and gradual and almost at times it's that gradual that you don't actually think that it is there. Uh, but that point difference, I mean, for, like, it's a glaring... You, I think that point difference has come from, quite simply, Kane not having a season that... Uh, one more injury than he would normally Injuries, get. Yeah. Um, and realistically as well, even when he was there, just not being as prolific still, just ever so slightly. I mean, we're maybe talking like maybe 10, 
15%, 20% less prolific. But thank God Sun's been there. Yeah. You take Sun out of the equation, God, you dread to think where we'd be. I mean, because there are literally no other options there at all. I mean, Fernando Llorente has uh, been in, talked about a bit more in the last week or so. Um, I think there was an article about, you know, no, he's got no regrets at Spurs and stuff like that. And he's he's kind of almost that, that goal against City has got him off off the hook just ever so slightly in terms of how useless <laughs> he is because that goes that goal was nothing that was literally pure luck there is but nothing about that I, I think people like him and Lucas Moore and stuff are a, a little bit like players like I don't know if I'm shitting on Sturridge and Origi a bit here but, but a little bit like that where you can put him in every now and again and they will do something but mm. if you had a, say a run of five or six games where you had to rely on them they're never going to be good enough for you to do that. No. It'll be like someone like Lalana probably as well. I think he's good here and there. You could bring him on 20 minutes to go and mm. he's going to do okay. But if you're relying on him, it's not it's good, not good enough. And I yeah. think that's where Spurs are going to have to have a look at in the summer. And this is this is where I think Sissoko has been popular for a lot of people this season in terms of he has been actually has been good. consistent. Consistent to a level. Uh, but my, my gripe is, is that he... He does flatter to deceive sometimes, and he his work rate can be extremely high. But he's not he's not good enough. He's not a match winner. I mean, if you if you play above a level you've previously played at, then that covers over because mm. you're just better than the standards you set for yourself, rather than being a standard you should be at. Mm. Uh, I said before he was brought in as a thirty million pound sort of flair player, and he hasn't been any good at that. But he's been very good as a workhorse holding midfielder, which yeah. is great. But that wasn't what you were brought in and, to do. And don't get me wrong; I mean, when we brought him on, um, uh, he has been a change of momentum that we've needed. So it, he often has provided that switch that we needed. I mean, I think like he at times has potentially saved us from matches, not from literally taking the game by the scuff of the neck himself, but literally just being a bit of momentum. Well, I think he had a, a good impact against Ajax. I know he wasn't fully fitting out his injury concerns, but if you if you thought you could get minutes out of him, I would have started him just because I think mm. he he was he had that good impact against him. I think I agree with you. I think if if you can get Sun playing and get him into the game early on against Ajax, I think you're causing more sorts of trouble in the second leg. I thought the start of that game, they looked shook in terms Spurs looked shook by Ajax. They just passing it around him. You thought they could score however many they wanted. And then they kind of grew into the game. And people were saying recently that Spurs look a bit tired and a bit leggy. I thought Ajax did a little bit. I thought the game opened out. And mm. I thought towards the end of that game, I thought there's a lot of open space here. And Tottenham didn't really have anyone to exploit it. But I, if you I, have someone like Sun in there, then I, I it could be different. I, I thought if we had Sun in that game, I think we could have easily put three past him in that. At, mm. 35 minutes onwards, the way we at, properly went at them... I mean, there were so many chances which, if you just had somebody that was just had an ounce of prolific nature in them, it, it would we would have got at just least a goal. To stretch him a bit. Yeah. you didn't really have anyone to do that. Yeah. Well, all managers do it, don't they? Where you have a player who is match fit, but they'd rather not risk them, and they say, "Oh, we'll bring them on." If you start with them, then you can get the work done, and then you can bring them off. But no manager seems to do it that way around, and you think. Yeah, he was clearly the way he clearly changed it just in the way that he stretched them a little bit more. I don't think they saw Sissoko coming on and thought, oh shit, we're going to tuck up now. No. Yeah, yeah, plus as well, when you bring a player on like that halfway through a game and they aren't match fit, then what you're asking them to do is get up to speed in a game that's already flown, already moving. So the chance of them injuring themselves or doing some more punnant damage goes up that much more. And I'd hardly say Soko's the most intelligent player out there either. So the ability for him to pick up the game really quickly isn't there. <laughs> yeah. You're a fan of Sissoko, though. <laughs> Look, I don't, 
I think I've moved on now from I don't I don't dislike him um and I you know I I respect what he's managed to do this evening. I think at times I when we initially signed him um and that first sort of season that we had him I questioned his interest. I questioned like if he was a bit of a journey boy um and just sort of showed up when he felt like showing up but I think we that I can put that to bed this season because even when the game's not been going our way, it has been a really positive momentum. And you know, the, I think clearly he's really popular in the change rooms. And when you see things like that, it's important. So if, if we go back, to, if we go back to the top four, do, would you do you look at Spurs now and say that you can be pleased with the league running this season? Because at the end of the day, you've got top four, and but it's not the way you'd have liked to have got it. You'd rather have sprinted over line than. Fell over the line and then been rolled over. Yeah, so I think for me, weirdly, I think even though it's been put to bed now and we've got top four, unless you go on a wild got scoring screen, it's very. Um, I think I, I and it and, it, and, ten, and it's out of our hands because Chelsea have to draw or lose. But I think I if we win and Chelsea draw or lose and we finish in third spot, I feel significantly better than I do if it just we finish in fourth and it's just like Chelsea win and we win. I think. Like I said, I've been on the bandwagon this year of us not signing anybody, um, whether that was within our control or out of our control from a financial basis or not. I think in this day, in this day and age, for us to not sign anybody and still not technically lose any ground on where we were, if you just isolate the Premier League, is a massive achievement. And alongside as well, I know that we've had the momentum of the new stadium at the other season, but not moving into that season, not not move, sorry, not moving into the stadium when we were meant to, has been a massive hindering feature for the for a lot of the season as well. I, I think it's just such a pass for the players, though. I don't, I don't think it has that impact. And I've said before, I think if you look at Tottenham's form before going into the new stadium, they were pretty much in free fall. I think that's kind of saved their season I I don't think they get past sitting in the Champions League without a new stadium and I don't think I think some of those home results they picked up in season they probably don't get and if we look at how close the points are now I think they could have been a big big trouble Spurs' away form is oh, yeah, abysmal yeah. as no, well no no I'm so, saying I'm, I'm saying moving into the state, new stadium is a, was a massive massive change of momentum massive big, for big, us in so yeah. so many ways but I, I, what I'm trying to say is before that when we weren't moving out of the stadium, there was a lot of question marks whether it was going to be in the se- in that season or players not really knowing I if just, they were going to be if they were going to be there next season. Any anyway, we're going to get a chance to play in this new stadium, this whole project. There was a lot I'm of not, questions. I'm not going. doubting it's, there's creates some uncertainty. I just don't think something like that affects the players as much as people are necessarily making out. And if sort of off the field unrest is the big determining factor in players' form, Chelsea should probably be in the relegation zone. Because there's turmoil all the time there. Yeah, no, you're right. And I look at Spurs as well, and they've played at Wembley now. What was this? Their second season, was it? Yeah. Yeah, second season playing at Wembley. So all the teeth and problems that they would have had should have gone out in the first season. I know that halfway through you had disgruntled fans, like Harfield Stadium, because they didn't want to pay the the new stadium money for Wembley. Totally get that. However, they've made Wembley Stadium, which is arguably the best stadium in the country, their own. So I don't see why that would have affected them. And then moving to their new stadium as well, when you think they're moving in March, April time, you would really want to go unbeaten at your home for the rest of the season at least. So you can then have that fortress kind of mentality of it's going to be a hard place to come to. And then towards the end of the season, you've now gone and bottled it against West Ham and (laughs) Ajax. And that kind of fortress aspect of their new stadium has turned into just another Wembley. 
I, I don't understand, for a start, the fans' perspective because you, you're paying to go and see Spurs. It, it, it's not that much of a hardship to go and watch them at Wembley. It's it's really that's been that's been o- overblown completely, and I don't know what kind of. Uh, well, I, I think it's quite obvious because I don't know it, where Spurs where Spurs have got this sense of entitlement from that you're you're above Wembley. No, it's nothing to do. It's nothing. It's n- it's not that at all. It's nothing to do about being above Wembley. It's purely to do with the fact that we know that 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 stadium is never going to be ours, and it's not our home. But, and it's a con- and like I said before. Playing at Wembley, it's a cup final stadium, and that's what it should be used for. And bit, and playing and playing there, playing there is a constant reminder of the silverware which we are severely <laughs> lacking. I mean, how? I mean, it, the amount of times that you then go there, it takes the flair out of it. And it's it's also as well. I mean, you're you're going into a season of where you haven't signed anybody, largely based on you're meant to be moving into your new stadium. You paid for any delay to that process is going to cause you to. It's like looked for things to complain about so it's probably even not really about playing at Wembley that's just been a branch off of the main the main gripe which is just we want our new stadium we want our new stadium now because think- we, we've got that that you're like the the hierarchy have basically said that's been the cost of why we haven't signed any players this season. And any delay to that process is going to cause people to look at things negatively. I think looking for reason to complain is probably nail on the head. I think it's a very handy excuse for players if things don't go wrong to do that. I, th- I think we're just absolving responsibility. From a, a certain quality of player, you get them on a pitch in a park, you get them in Wembley, it doesn't matter. Th- they'll see it through. I, I think we've over sort of shot the, the stadium thing. But um, th- I get it a little bit more with the fans. Because you say about the affinity of, you know, this isn't our home, we know what our home is. The fans have been there however long and they've got that emotional connection to the club. Let's face it, most players don't. Most players don't really have that much of a connection to the club. So regardless, as I said it before, they probably have more in their their mind of playing at Wembley than they do of playing at Spurs' stadium. So I don't think that's necessarily... It's interesting with the Spurs fans as well. It's um it's quite a... I thought quite a characteristic of Londoners that you also don't realise how lucky you are in terms of any other situation in the country. The transport links to get to Wembley, whatever, it's, it's just a different tube stop for the... Yeah. It's not that hard. Any other place, Midlands, Liverpool, Manchester, Southwest, anywhere, you move stadium like that, you're not going to be able to get to there much easier. It's going to be so much more difficult to get yeah. there logistically. Yet, yeah. Spurs are absolutely raging. They've had to go an extra couple yeah. of stops down the line. I think that's one of the worst things as well, is that Spurs have really ruined the magic of Wembley for us all. Um, you, like, <laughs> like we said before, it used to be a cup final stadium. Nenitson into us. Oh, we'll play some semi-finals there as well. And it's kind of that kind of dampened the magic of Wembley in itself. And then you've got someone moaning about playing in a 95,000-seat stadium. That's... When at Chelsea, we've got 42,000 seats at Stamford Bridge. It's an ageing stadium. Love it to pieces. But it's so difficult to get a ticket. Like it's so They sell out in seconds yeah. because Spurs then have like 50,000 more seats than we yeah. do. I you've... wouldn't complain if we had to go to Wembley. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing. So it could have been far worse. Like It, it could have been you were sharing with MK Dons. Yeah. You any any other stadium share if you you're going to have to have someone else's stadium for a season regardless. It could have been far worse than Wembley. I think they got to count themselves lucky. And with the with the players, I I think kind of just to piggyback off what TK said, I think we're giving the players uh, too much credit there. I think we saw on the latest Crouchy podcast, they really don't care about too much. I don't think playing on Wembley is going to be too much of a hindrance for them. That's why I kind of say it's more of an issue for the fans as well because they 
players almost you'll be getting taken to and from the game from the hotel whatever it's you've really have no real sort of control in it anyway i i think this i think this talk of spurs fans like hating on wembley has been blown out of proportion because it it's it has, no it has because i it, it's largely always been about just we we are in our new stadium and it's not we hate playing at wembley it's just purely we want to it move seemed on to tired the new but i think other fans are probably probably can't comprehend being tired of playing at wembley but, but if if we if it's, we it's kind of um so I, I silk, can only, silk dressing gown doesn't fit quite nicely. I, I can only speak for myself, and I, I I haven't complained once about playing at Wembley. I've wanted to move into our new stadium, and that's been my only gripe in terms of like. I mean, that's what. That's yeah, but if if you're going to games every week as it is, you you wouldn't. I don't understand why you'd stop going because it's Wembley. Like, well, it was. A, it I'd was, watch Arsenal in a park if I was in a park in London. If it was watching Arsenal, it's not that much of a hardship. The, the fans, oh, you're watching it at Wembley. The fans not going to Wembley. It was frustration over what was going on with the new stadium. They were but protesting at the constant you've got to delays. Put the team over that, having a little tantrum because you're not playing in your own stadium because your own club has messed it up. Look, it was nobody else's fault. So but Spurs... you tie that in potentially with at the time when our performances were going largely south and then you start to question yeah, whether Spurs all of, this project, of the this, this project is actually going to work or because not. Because they should have had a points deduction. No, they shouldn't have. Richard Scudamore said it. He said, look, we will not allow our competition to be brought into disrepute like this. You can't play half your games in one stadium and half your games in another. We will not allow it. That, that's yeah, but that's a ridiculous statement. There is no literally. Oh, it's the rule, but it's uh, the rules ridiculous. If if Spurs didn't have all them English darlings in their squad, they yeah. Be so clapped. so Spurs. So we've spoken on if here. But we spoke. We spoke. Chelsea, they'd be getting dock points. Yeah, and rightfully so. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but. Right, if they, I don't think they would have. If this was any other, if they, well, they might, if their new stadium plans get put through and they actually pull it off, I don't know what's if that's still on the shelf or not now. But they're probably going to be in the same situation, and they and they will have to demand. They'll probably demand Wembley like we did, and that's fine. Let's, let's get on. Let's get on to Chelsea because uh, we. The last thing of it, I will say, I think I said about the Champions League, maybe masked it a little bit. I think it has in terms of if you look at earlier on in the season. It was genuine. It was a thing of depending on what pundit you listen to on what week that Spurs were title challengers or not. But I think even the most critical one would probably say they were on the coattails of the front two. And I think the fact that they've fallen away from that so sharply that they've been dragged into the t- fight for the top four is a is a bad sort of indictment on the season. I think, but the Champions League has more than enough sort of counterbalance that to mean it has been a good season. But I would kind of, as Alex kind of touched on at the start of this, that. Spurs have benefited from some luck this year. I think they kind of, if you look at it as any one of Chelsea, Arsenal, United had sorted themselves out, then Spurs could have been in a lot more trouble than they have been. So they've been fortunate that, as we said, with the sort of you've fallen over the line in the marathon and everybody else has kind of, I don't know, collapsed just before the finishing line. Yeah, on, on to Chelsea then, because it's it's been a, a weird season for them, even from the outside looking yeah. in and. In terms of the top four race, it's almost been kind of like a, the tortoise and the hare kind of thing because everyone has kind of been so like preoccupied with everyone else having their kind of situation on lock that we just kind of put Chelsea in in, in the back burner like while well, they just let them deal with their own thing. Hazards Hazards leaving, they got a transfer ban. Sorry this, sorry that, and then slowly you kind of keep your eye on the table and sort of well they're actually now ahead of. And they creeping and creeping and creeping in, and now 
they've secured it for themselves. I actually, I just hope now they take it easy in the Europa final. Yeah. Well, it's already been a really weird season as a Chelsea fan because I think if you look back to the start of the season, if you look back to the start of the season and you look at the run that we went on, we had no losses until what was it, the twenty sixth? I think it was twenty fourth of November when we lost to Spurs three one. Um, we were like top of the table, hadn't lost, playing really good football. And then we just got found out, like really found out to the point of anyone could get a result against us. And you only have to look at the difference between us in the Europa League to us in the Premier League. Because I, thought, I think that everyone outside of the top four, bar the people that have got relegated, have got better. The competition has got better. And even the ones that have got relegated have got better as well. So it's a case of... The top four relatively staying the same. You look at Spurs making no signs. I know they had the, the stadium. Arsenal, again, not bringing in who they really needed to. And then Chelsea, we throw a lot of money at players that shouldn't, we shouldn't be throwing money at. You look at Man City, for example. So there's been a lot of comparables made between, say, Pep Guardiola and Sarri in their first season. So if we finish third, we'll have finished in the same position. Um, if we win our next game, we'll have won one less game than Pep did in his first season as Manchester City boss. And what that did is that made him realise that that wasn't the team that he wanted to work with. So he went and splashed out 200 million on four new fullbacks. <laughs> like, that is the spending power that they have. And if I said Chelsea, right, go and spend 200 million on four new players that we need, I wouldn't trust Chelsea to go and spend it on the right players. Because we've spent money, don't get me wrong. Like, you look at our recent transfer dealings, you've got... Rat- yeah. You've got Morata for 60 million, who's now on loan. You've got Bakayoko for 30 million, who was terrible, who's now on loan. You have 30 million on Danny Drinkwater on 120 grand a week, that is now on loan. You look at our loan army, and I know it's a laughable beforehand, but a lot of these players have played for us for six months a season and then gone back on loan again. So you've got to really question this kind of model. I understand that that Maria Grankovia or something, she kind of takes control of all of our transfer dealings at the moment because we've got that problem of. We don't have a manager for long enough to see his project through. So we've got loads of players just from that no manager wants because they're not being bought by the manager full stop. So no one really knows why they're being bought. So it's kind of a really weird scenario. Have you, have you seen that, those Bakayoko comments from in the week saying uh, he's looking to return back to Chelsea to escape the racists in Italy? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, who's going to be on to yeah. He's done quite well in Milan, by the he has. Well, and yet yeah. <laughs> he's still trying to get out of there because escape racist abuse. Yeah. He, had a, he had a stinker to start off with and then I think it all turned it around in them. kind of like one game and then he's sorted it out. Yeah. I think he ha- always had the makings of a decent player. Like, you look at his time at Monaco and that was the reason why we bought him. Yeah. He can't be a bad player. Um, he just didn't fit into... Conte's kind of makeup on how they, how they work out and things like that. So I've got a feel for the guy. I remember that game at Watford really kind of sealed the deal. The game at Watford really just he got it was the worst cameo I've ever seen from a Chelsea player. He came on the pitch. He was on there for like what fifteen minutes. He gave the ball away like eight times and then got sent off. And he got booed off the pitch. You remember got, the Abuwe one where he came on. Had an abysmal game. I was jeered until he was then off. yanked off, and he said he cried in the dressing room after. That was the turning point for him, though, because Arsenal fans genuinely booed him every time he came on before, and then he became like a cult hero afterwards. Yeah. But I, I, it's a weird. I can't work Chelsea out at all. No. I, I didn't think they'd a, end up here. I'm I, a Chelsea fan, and I can't work us out. I, either, I, I thought pre-season, I thought it's a season of 
a lot of uncertainty and I think they'll probably come sixth. Mm. Then when we did our thing the other day of who we thought would come top four, I thought Chelsea just about missed out come fifth because I thought, I did look at Arsenal and I thought, I, the thing is, I know what I'm going to get with Arsenal predominantly, good and bad. Yeah. And I thought, people like Palace and Leicester are people that yeah. Arsenal might struggle with. Whereas Spurs have had a couple of results I thought they'd get better results in. But Chelsea, I'm just looking at, I, I have no idea from one into the next. That game against Watford the other the other day, yeah. I thought that could be a, a banana skin for no doubt. And then, <laughs> and then they just look pretty comfortable doing it. And well, this is the thing. And then you start looking and thinking, oh, but well, they're not too bad. And you have people like Loftus Cheek and Giroud coming off the bench. You think, oh, that's not a bad situation, well, but the, the game it obviously is. The game yesterday perfectly perfectly encapsulated our entire season. So in the first half, we were hanging on. Watford were all over us. And if it wasn't for a Kepa, absolute wonder save, which has gone under the radar, I see, as one of the best saves of the season because just the way you had to hang into the top corner, from a header as well, you don't get that kind of body shape reading of a strike with the foot. It's just a bounce off the head. So that is one of the best saves of the season. If that, that's a completely different game because with Chelsea, if we don't get the first goal, then we don't win the game because... Teams will just sit back against us, knowing that we're quite a blunt, to use coin the phrase, a blunt sword, going forward. And if people get the first goal, they'll just sit behind the ball and they'll see it out. And we don't have the firepower to then open them up. However, when we get the first goal, and then teams have to come out, and they, we create space from that, you can really see, and I was about to say, that you can see the difference between us in the Europa League and us in the Premier League. In the Europa League this season, we're playing our second string team a lot of the time, and we're rolling teams 3-4-0. <laughs> And it's because they're not sitting in against us. They're going out to play a European game of football to really attack us. And we just... just Like that Eintracht-Frankfurt game, we had so many chances and we really should have nailed them a lot more than we they, did. Uh, they rested their entire team... And lost six <laughs> ...to ready to play. My man Luka Jovic is going to pop up. If we, if I'll say now, if we'll uh, lock this in for you to come back on for our uh, Change My Mind segment. Because yeah. I know your thoughts on... Uh, making contact with the keepers, which I strongly disagree with. Right. We'll uh, do it's that. Gonna get we'll, fi- it's we'll, going to be a fiery we'll, topic. We'll do that, do that yeah. another day. And then um, I was going to say, I actually think that a transfer ban could do Chelsea the world of good. I'd say the same. Because they have so many great players who can't get a look in. Yeah. And if you could bring them in, even just like your centre-back's situation isn't great. Even if you could give Ampadu some games yeah. and bring him back in, yeah. you've got plenty that you can get. At least you'll have a season because... I think next season the excuse will be ready laid out for Chelsea if they have a yeah. transfer ban because they'll say everyone else can improve and then you've almost got a free hit mm-hmm. to bring these players through yeah. and at least then you can say well look we'll see how good you are now. So I completely agree with you. So for example we love homegrown players. Like It doesn't matter how badly they play and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. where they've come from. It's literally we love to see someone from our youth team. Well don't forget we've won the youth cup what that, six out of the that last Chelsea youth team beat that Ajax youth team that yeah. have all these players in there yeah. today. Just beat Barcelona in the FA, uh, the UEFA Youth League, Nations League as well. And you look at our Chelsea team now and you think Pedro Willian. Hudson Adoy, yeah, he, he burst onto the scene and we were crying out for him because he was homegrown. However, towards the kind of just before he got injured, he wasn't like written up trees or anything like that but we still loved him because he was homegrown why do Chelsea fans hate Willian <laughs> because he's just so inconsistent and he just but he's better than Pedro surely so I don't understand this but it's, it's, it's his goal return that's probably the main gripe that most Chelsea fans have is his goal return you look at it and I don't know the exact figures but I know that they're not high I know that he, I know that he hasn't really apart from that one wonder season when our entire team played awfully yeah. and he cropped up was our yeah. man of the season yeah. 
And he was brilliant then, but it's that inconsistency. It's like he'll always under hit a pass. He'll always not go past someone. That Barca offer. Yeah, and oh. I, I said we should have taken it. Took it around. Hundred percent. You should have asked for Delafeu, uh, not Delafeu, um, Dembele in return, yeah. and it probably could have. Uh... I would love that. And like, the thing is, as well, you look at Pedro, and although he's not as strong, and he's nowhere near as strong. Like we're going back to Mkhitaryan when you say with Arsenal that he's a wimp. Pedro is. However, he always crops up with an unbelievable finish. I remember when we needed to win the league under Conte a couple of seasons ago. It was it was Everton away. And he scores this absolute thunderbolt with his left foot. And he's just got that in his locker, whereas William doesn't. He just... William is just so inconsistent. That's why he winds so many Chelsea fans up. is because his goal return is terrible. I think, touching on what you said about the, the transplant could do him a favour as well. I think Chelsea's kind of... Sort of policy is kind of... Whenever it gets to this stage, is right, we'll spend a bit of money, sack the manager, mm-hmm. and that, that'll get us out of trouble. And you kind of ended up in the cycle. And as you said, I think you've kind of ended up this is the end of that cycle. Yeah. The, the squad you've ended up with, the dysfunction and stuff, yeah. is kind of the end so, of the line of that. This is a direct result of what you've had. Exactly that. So I'm go- I was going to touch on this because I've had quite a, f- a turbulent season with Sarri as, <laughs> as a fan. I've been Sarri in. I've been Sarri out. I've been, I absolutely hate the bloke. I think he's like an absolute fool. And now I'm thinking, right, my kind of grown-up, matured football fan hat <laughs> has come out from full force. And I've looked at that squad and I've thought, I can see what he's trying to do. Sorry, and I can, Bull. And I can, see what he's, I can see what he's trying to do without a striker. And I can see what he's trying to do without a winger. When you think, if you put Hazard in a false nine, which he's made some absolutely dire decisions this season, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like, the false nine, putting Hazard up front, you're basically nullifying our only threat. It's against Liverpool away a couple of weeks ago, for example, right? We play him up front on his own and we nullify anything that we ever had and then it takes us for it to go 2-0 down for us to put him on the left wing and then he should have buried those two chances on another day Salah's shot goes into Rosehead and has a buried those two chances and we're talking about a 2-1 victory it's just that's the margins that we have I said when we spoke about the game actually I said he literally straight away became the best player on the pitch once he was on the on the on left the hand side yeah, but yeah. until then he'd, he'd been completely quiet I think Games like that are a reason for some positivity for Chelsea in terms of the games against Liverpool, certainly, against some of the big games. I I have seen them play well. I think that's probably a little bit more on the players. I think they seem to be able to lift themselves for those games where they can't for others. I don't think it's just on Sarri and the, the tactical setup. I think that maybe speaks a lot for the mentality of some of the Chelsea well, players. This is Liverpool it... used to be the same, where in a big game you'd back them, but against a small team you'd think they're not going to turn up this week. So this is what I was going to say. So like obviously going on earlier about the points about Guardiola, about how if we win our final game, we'll have won one less game than Guardiola mm. did in his first season. And then he was backed. So Sarri has inherited a squad that's played under Conte and Mourinho. So probably one of the most defensive managers you can get <laughs> in, in the world, in world yeah. football. So you've got a team kind of centred around defensive play players that aren't used to playing kind of quick interchange passing I know that you've got Pedro who's come from Barcelona but he's at the twilight of his career and you've got William who is a pace merchant who is, and is losing gradually his pace and it's all built on counter-attacking play you, when we counter-attack with Sarri we, you can see glimpses of some great football but we're also playing with Kante in a right centre mid so it's like yeah. where's the creativity coming from that Jorginho Again, he gets a lot of unfair criticism, I would say. Like, he does his job. And if you, there was a montage I put on Twitter the other day about all of... I know he's got no assist this season, but you look at some of the passes that he's made that have been missed by 
incapable strikers and William, which is a hybrid of an incapable winger and an incapable striker, <laughs> you really can't blame the guy. He had like 20, 20 passes that should have been goals. And it was just incapable finishing that changed that. And I think this is the season that will really make or break Sarri. And Chelsea, as a football club, if we want to see this kind of... We look at Klopp and we admire, oh, Klopp, he hugs his players, he does his great <laughs> thing. He's been given four years and £400 million to achieve absolutely nothing. <laughs> and this is Ouch. this is something that, that, if it was a Chelsea manager, he wouldn't have got that time. Yeah. And this is the only reason why we're speaking about it now, is because he is a Chelsea manager, and we demand quick, yeah. surefire success. success. And then when it all goes wrong a couple of seasons after, we're like, right, change him, let's get the new one. And then worry about, oh, we've got all these players that aren't good enough. It's because we've got a manager that will not like cannot buy his own players because he's not back to be there long enough. So we're trying to do this long-term approach with players from three regimes ago. So it's I can I can feel for Sarri, I can empathise with Sarri, but he really hasn't helped himself either. No, that's he, it. he needs to get rid of those fag ends and yeah. he, needs to, he needs to just put a suit on and have a shave just once a season. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you until I feel bad for him, but then he'll do things like insist on playing Kante and opposition yeah. and things like that where. Or putting Hazard in the forest nine. We think yeah. simple little changes that anyone can see. If Not, you made them, your, t- your team would be better and you'd have a much more sort of secure job. I agree. If, it, they could have two cup finals this season and come third. It's, it's, it's not an awful season. It's, it's not a bad what, season yet. I, I was, in your mind, you're thinking Chelsea have underachieved. I was just about to say that. So if at the beginning of the season you said yeah, to Ron me... Yeah, Grant season. Yeah, like you say <laughs> to... <Allegedly> you, <laughs> you say to me, right, Jack... Chelsea are going to get to the final of the Carabao Cup, beating Liverpool at Anfield and then beating Tottenham over two legs. And then they'll pretty much, in the second half, suck Man City in and stop their gameplay and we lose on penalties, just unluckily. And then we, say if we win the Europa League, and that's an achievement in itself, and we finish third, for example, you think... That's not actually a bad season, but it's the way that we've got there. It's the dross football. And I remember Cardiff away before we had that offside goal that really sp- oh, yeah. spun our Warnock's going to tell his grandkids' grandkids about that. A hundred percent. And he, so he should. I sat there thinking, we played absolutely shocking <laughs> football that day. It was Could dross. Could have happened to a nicer it bloke. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was dreary. It was horrible. And at the time, I didn't feel an ounce of sorrow for Warner because I thought he was an absolute... Have you seen the, the clip of him this weekend over the Park Life? Uh, oh, not the, the, um, oh, yeah, the yeah, Bittersweet yeah, Symphony video. Yeah, when just, he put into the music video. Just really quick, that. before we move on, because we've got to get yeah. Liverpool and United in. Yeah. If, hypothetically, you were asked now, all grievances are put aside, mm. and you're given, to start the new season, Jose, Conte, or Sarri, who do you start jo- next jo- season with? Jose every time. <laughs> because the reason, the, the reason why is because... He's great at managing. He's a shit house, and that is what Chelsea is all about. We love. He loves William as well. Yeah, we love a shit house win. <laughs> there is nothing better in my like. If someone said to me, Jack, you can go in uh, to win two 0 against Man United, or Jack, you can score a ninetieth minute offside goal. I'd, did, I'd take the 90th minute Did you read goal. the article breaking down that, that win with the slip against uh, Yeah, Liverpool. I read every single word him, of it. Him drilling time-wasting tactics, yeah. saying I want at least two bookings for time-waste. Yeah. That meant... So, it, it's all about the theatre, Marine. The clown. It's all about the theatre. So, that was supposed to be Liverpool's crowning day. Their, their amazing season of free-flowing football. And then 
you look at Mourinho, he turns up unshaven. Looks like he's not out of shower. He's wearing a bloody... He was ill. He's wearing a tracksuit. He's said that he was ill, so he stayed away from his team. He then... You've got this whole, like, Hillsborough thing as well. So the, the emotion is such an inbuilt emotional day. And so it should be. But you've just... I think the the paraphrase was they wanted a circus and they wanted us to be the clowns. Yeah. And then after we after we win that game, he goes screaming down the tunnel, <laughs> we shall not be the clowns. Yeah. And that fully encapsulates why I love Jose Mourinho if, and why Jose Mourinho is the king of football in my eyes. All right, if we get on to United and Liverpool yeah, and then we've yeah. got a little bit more, because I know Alex has to go at one, I believe. Um, so United... Drew with, Drew with Huddersfield, I've said. I mean, everyone else could laugh at them. I had that taken away from me, unfortunately. It's now looking like, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, that we can just say, well, look, why on earth did they appoint Solskjaer? Absolutely mental. <laughs> Alex, you're screwing your face up. You said they are going to win the Champions League under Solskjaer, so you've yeah. backed all corners. Yeah, no, no, but I said, I said that Solskjaer was the one managerial choice. I didn't say that. Like, you also I said, said he'd win the Champions League. Yeah, so I was wrong about that. But <laughs> <laughs> but I was wrong about the top. I was right about the top four. One what? in eight. One in three. So, one in yeah. three. We're talking about Chelsea season. We're talking about Spurs season. I'll take that. So, <laughs> if you throw enough shit out there, something's going to stick. <laughs> so, I mean, United have been fairly ruthless with previous managers so far. I've seen some saying, "Look, everyone already knows what you've done to your previous managers." Chop Solskjaer now, give Poch what he wants. <laughs> well, that would be so I don't know if they've got the minerals to do it, but... <laughs> what I love is because and as soon as they appointed him, they've made a rod for their own backs. So Didn't well. they appoint him off a loss? They lost to Arsenal and then they appointed him. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah, right, it was fresh off the international break, wasn't it? So when yeah. they came back, I, I could kind of get why they did it at that point, maybe yeah. try and give him a shift, but I think it didn't really happen. So what they've done... It's almost like they're a new. It's almost like they're a new club born again after they've lost um, Alex Ferguson. It's like they're making all these decisions and because we hear about him more now than we yeah, did when he was a manager. Because he, they had such stability at the time, they never had to make these rash decisions. They never had to make any of these because Alex Ferguson was in charge of everything: transfers, who came in, who left. No one was bigger than the club. Whereas now you're getting the same kind of thing you had at Chelsea, where you've got Alexis Sanchez on four hundred grand a week, just sat five hundred, five hundred grand a week, seriously. That's yeah, and you got like Di Marini, he's scored like what two hundred games for Man United now, and he's got four goals. I, like, I moan about William, but Jesus, I bet, I bet Jose hated Ferguson being around as much as he can oh. say it was lovely when they had Ferguson like turning up for the coach to get on like you said like Brent last week coming back into the office yeah. <laughs> I bet he absolutely yeah I bet he was snarling at him at the, at the back of the bus so for them their season I think they're kind of like us where they had the perk where he came in and you start to think well maybe we are maybe we're going to be able to like, you know, laugh at anyone else at the end of the season they were saying look we've had such a bad season we're still going to finish above you this 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 and now I mean, they could finish below Arsenal. They could be the one team that actually can't laugh at Arsenal by the end of all this. The thing you've got to say with them is, and I, I know we'll do a, like a season preview, I'm sure, before the new season all over summer. You know they're going to lump out this summer. Oh, yeah. They aren't going to settle for it two seasons in a row. They're going to probably spend, I said yesterday, minimum 300 million, I think they'll spend. Because they're he's he's already, if he doesn't get rid of these players now, they they're not going to play for him. Do you see him? His comments in alone yesterday. He said, 
we deserve to be in the Europa League because um, we're closer to teams like Everton, Leicester, and that than than the top of the league. He said, "Look, we're not going to challenge for the foreseeable future because you don't get twenty seven points in two seasons." He then said, "Look, a lot of these players. This is the last time you ever seen them play." If now the board say, you know what, we actually don't trust you. We've seen what happened in Norway. We've seen what happened at Cardiff. We don't really fancy giving you all this cash. Then he's stuck with these. I don't know why he started up front with San- he started Sanchez and Rashford in a front too yesterday, hasn't he? I think he was trying to send that Mental. message to people like Marshall. You drop Marshall because yeah. Sanchez come back with that porn star Tash. <laughs> he's forgotten how to play football. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. He's been space jammed. I, I have no idea how. <laughs> How someone who was... We, I've genuinely back. forgotten how good he was. Yeah. I've forgotten how good he was because I'm watching him thinking, you can't play football anymore. He's just this Peruvian midget now that <laughs> yeah. turns up on a I Saturday watch sometimes. him and still think, you're better than Iwobi. <laughs> I would still rather have you than Iwobi. Well, what I liken Man United's season to be like is a lot like Game of Thrones. Car crash. So, you know where Ramsey Bolton um, kidnaps... Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like a couple of seasons ago, so I'm I'm hoping someone's going to have uh, read it. Stop me if you have, if you're rewatching it. No, no, no. So skip 15 seconds. If, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you if you have started, and I think it's season six this one. But Ramsey Bolton, he kidnaps kidnaps uh, Theon, or Theon gets kidnapped, and then he just sets him free, and he runs him away. So he thinks he's going to get a chance of freedom, and that's what Oli Solskjaer was. He was this this chance of this is what something could happen. And then he shot him in the back. Yeah, and then he takes and then he takes him back and then tortures him for months and months to come. And I, for one, as a Chelsea fan, growing up in a city full of Man United fans, even though we live in the south of England, which is a weird thing to say the least, I take no greater pleasure in seeing the discomfort of Man United fans. So this is just like now what they've got to do is they've got to make a decision whether to sack a club legend who won the Champions League or carry on Glorified suffering. bench merchant. Yeah. Yeah, what he a is. legend. He's like, he's like a Ramirez. Like, Ramir- <laughs> Ramirez will go down in Chelsea folklore as that goal he scored at the new hey, camp. You offer me in my in my team Solskjaer or Giroud, I take Giroud. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. Um, the Brighton fans yesterday, by the way, they were chanting, we support our local team as if, as if it was this big thing, essentially saying, look, we know their shit. This is why we support them. Yeah. As if this was this massive, like, well then, lads, you support your local team. Congrats. I mean, there's probably not too much more to say on United other than it's been a dreadful season. I'll put it behind them. We'll see what happens in the summer. I think they're going to struggle to make their money back on Pogba, so they ain't going to sell him. I saw a thing saying they reckon they're going to sell him for 130 mil. I was like, who's spunking that on him? But if, if you can get rid of Chelsea. some money for like him and Lukaku, etc., they, they've got enough money of their own, plus any money they get from someone like Pogba. Like you said, they can't spunk 300 million in a window. The Lukaku stick I maintain is too harsh. Uh, yeah. He does a better job up front for United than Rashford does. Yet, because he's because he's Belgian and not English, mm-hmm. yeah. like I said yesterday, I, when I saw on Twitter, they got the Mancuni and Agbon Lahore up front in Rashford. <laughs> And he's getting away with it That's because harsh. Neville never won't say a bad word about him, and he's usually very good. Just quickly, if we get, if we get onto Liverpool before we uh, get just, on, just, just okay. to say just to say that quickly, just to close off with United. So we've spoken a lot about like the amount of money that's potentially going to be spent in this next transfer window, the massive overhauls that are going to happen. You look at the teams that we've now got in front of us in the top six, and the potential money that we're talking about being spent, the players that are going to go. 
this isn't going to happen. There is too much overhaul here all, all around for it to happen. I mean, we're potentially either talking about a massive merry-go-round, which never happens, or a ridiculous spending spree, which is going to break records by <laughs> double what it's been sent previous. And I just don't see it. You've got Real Madrid, who are going to be on the market this season. And I, I think, if anything... The squads that we've got now in front of us, a lot of it will be the same, bar maybe one or two, three players. That, that's the thing. You know, we, lot, A few weeks ago, we were talking about Pogba and Hazard are definitely going to be going to Real Madrid. Well, it's not going to be Pogba, Hazard and Eriksen going to Real Madrid because it's three of the... Well, they By all accounts, I don't think they've got as much money to spend as usual. I'm sure they can dig up a, a bit, but if if it seems to be Hazard's their primary target, unlucky Jack, um, but if, if they go for him, he's going to cost an arm and a leg. So after that, it's... Oh, they can have the money for the others. I've, I've got to make my peace with Hazard going, so I'm, go, I'm going <laughs> going on Thursday, so I'll be able to see him in his final game at Stamford Bridge. I'm pretty happy about it. But just uh, my final point in Man United is they are slow. Their draw is slowly going season by season, so they're they're going to literally ruin their club themselves from Shot the fire. end. So it's a case of before it was work with Alex Ferguson. We play in the Champions League. We win the title every season. That's why people came. Now they're having to play people abhorrent amounts of money like Sanchez. And if that doesn't work out, that transfer means you can't get rid of them because they're not going to take your pay get to go anywhere else. So it means they're going to be stuck with loads of really highly paid players and no one else wanting to come to them because they're not in the Champions League. So they've got really, really pivotal season. I think it's actually more appealing now because you have less pressure than you would and you can come in and be that guy, which is why Pogba came in pretty much. That's true, but then because... If your season does go down the pan, they can get away with going missing, like Pogba has in a lot of games. Yeah. PFA Player of the Year, by the way, and Hazard was the first player to register more than 15 assists and 15 goals since Henri in 2002-2003. And he didn't even make it double digits in a season, though. It's, uh... but he was, yeah, but he won the PFA Player of the Year without hitting those double digits because of what he brings to Chelsea. If we didn't have him, we would be nowhere near. But yeah. there we go. Uh, if, we, if we get on to Liverpool then, now I know you two very strongly don't want Liverpool to win the league, so I imagine that Origi goal was... Uh, wasn't pleasant to see go in. I watched a game with TK, which was a roller coaster in itself. Uh, like I've, I thought he was quite calm watching the game, but obviously not. Alex, I, I believe wants uh, City to win the league. Uh, uh, honestly, I'm a bit impartial. No, I you're think, not. Uh, <laughs> you I, can tell yourself that. No, I, I am impartial because I. If you were to, if you were to force me to say which side I prefer. Like if you strip away the colours, stick away the name, and you were to ask me which side I prefer, I prefer Liverpool. Um, I prefer what they're about, the way they go you about the game. You just don't games. want to see TK happy. But but <laughs> so it, on that bare bones of it, I you'd have you think that I'd want to say Liverpool. But I think when you put the when you put the labels back on, He's, I yeah, think it's. Yeah. But to be to be honest, either which either one wins, it's not going to bother me either way. To be honest, and because I mean, like I said the other week, I mean Liverpool going and winning the title, and then we us having to listen to the fans and stuff like that. I, don't that don't particularly bother me because them getting another title isn't like you've got to forget that you've got to worry about your own success as a club so he's, it's... he's Alex's Alex's tip City to win the league and Liverpool to come higher than second <laughs> see as a football purist <laughs> I cannot stand to see Liverpool win purist. anything <laughs> like, and, it, and, and the reason and the reason for that is is because 
I know so many unbearable Liverpool fans. You that, do. That I can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I give you that. Yeah. That I. I'm, I like you that. Yeah. It's like I've got a, a few in my close circle of friends that if they won the league, my summer will be absolutely <laughs> unbearable to the point of I won't be able to leave the house. I can't hold that against you. I yeah, really can't. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. So, I almost don't want it yeah, for that yeah. reason. <laughs> so it's like I've got. Alec, well, I'm going to echo what Alex says here. And as if you strip away the colours and you strip away the badges, the football that they play for excitement and for just general football and style and the pace with which they play out and some of the goals that I've seen, Liverpool are, in my eyes, play the best football in the league. Like Pep Guardiola is a get to the byline, cut it back merchant, and he scores most of his goals that way. And if I had half a billion pounds to go and spend on a football team I'd expect me to win the Premier League yeah. there's still a stronger sense of vulnerability with Liverpool as well which means it, it's not a city I don't bother to watch their games because no. you know it's inevitability isn't it at least it? Yeah. with Liverpool you get some kind of theatre and drama fun in yeah. watching yeah yeah, that's it isn't it it's, most city games are attacked versus defence yeah. it's, it's however long that other team can hold out for yeah. is, is what you're watching whereas Liverpool Newcastle that yeah. week, even games like beat Southampton three on the other week, but that was for the most part was end to end, and you didn't know who was going to come out. I've said to someone the other day, I spoke speaking to a United fan, I said if it was as you guys have actually you put it well, but you said to strip back, if you did like a, a blind test, a blank yeah. canvas, so yeah. you didn't know the names who it was, you didn't know anything about either sets of fans, which I completely understand why people don't like Liverpool fans. <laughs> um, if you, if you took it on a blind test, there would only be one team that neutrals would would want to see win probably. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you throw on haven't won it in thirty years, best yeah. part of and all that, and, and one team sort of the inverted commas plastic club who've kind of bought their yeah. way into the the big the big party, then everybody would probably want Liverpool to win. But when you factor in the other things with the fans stuff, yeah, I, I do completely understand. It's, it's because whenever we say anything, and I think the main reason as well is I don't know any Man City fans. I know one. Yeah, that's yeah. Thing, I, know, I know one and he's half yeah. a Man City fan. He's not really that interested and I've got a photo of him in a United shirt so he doesn't play <laughs> back. And predominantly any City fans that are our age have probably been following him since they were kids when they were shit. Yeah, exactly. If you knew someone who... There's probably going to be a wave of kids now who suddenly become City fans. You're probably going to hate them growing up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're probably the next generation of fans people will hate. But as it is now, people are, you don't really know that many. Exactly. And they're normally sort of hardcore City fans. And it's like with me, I've had to really get my missus into watching Chelsea because I don't know any other Chelsea fans my age, really. Like, I know like one or two, but I didn't didn't go out with any. I was the only kid with a Chelsea lunchbox. One of the worst ones. Yeah, yeah. In in the primary school, I was the only one with a Chelsea lunchbox. So that's the same thing. No one really minded when we. We won stuff because they didn't like the money aspect. Did you that two go it. to the same school? Have I dreamt that? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We so were. We, that was when we, Alex was a United we, fan. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Same, same Shut up. Yeah, same. Yeah, same primary school. But I, I tell you what. Do you remember uh, the Champions League when Liverpool knocked Chelsea out with the controversial goal? Yeah. Uh, you were the only Chelsea fan in our year, and yeah, you came in. You came. You there was a lot of you know shit house Liverpool fans yeah. in this year, <laughs> yeah. and I I remember you came in prepared. You came in through the front gate, and you had the newspaper with the screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> above, with 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 the with the ball showing that it wasn't over line ready and you went you you didn't you didn't go defensive you went straight on the attack. And bearing in mind how old was I then? I must have been about like eight, yeah. like seven or eight years old. Yeah. And I came in because Sky had done this graphic that they used to oh spot like Sam missiles in in Iraq. And they'd done the same graphic for if the ball had gone over the line. And William Gallas did not, and I repeat. Did not go over line. So we were at a birthday party the night before, weren't we? We were, yeah, yeah. We were at a bowling party. I think it was Dimitri Bernard's like, birthday yeah, yeah, party. Yeah, yeah. And, I ca- and we came back, and I was the next day, and I came in with this 
flipping newspaper. I'm oh. just picturing the know, bear, bear in mind, everyone, everyone in my year supported Liverpool or Man United, and I was the only chance one in the entire yeah. school. Yeah, in the entire school. I'm picturing it like uh, the gladiators when they hold like the head above their head with just the <laughs> <Yeah>. paper. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like that. I'll echo the same kind of sentiment because I've said the United fans turned me on to wanting Liverpool to to win it. It was quite nice actually to watch the Barca game and be on the other on the other side of it. <laughs> Every now and then I do see like a Liverpool fan asking it's the United fans are gonna suffer more is what I tell yeah. myself <laughs> when it happens because they've essentially adopted like, I couldn't imagine supporting Spurs to win the league. And the excuse of oh well we grow up with Liverpool being a, a bigger rival so did most of us grew up with United or Liverpool. I wouldn't be cheering on. Cross United Spurs would be pretty brutal for me if it was if it was them two. But I would still rather United. And it wouldn't be a case of cheering on, would it? It'd be you might slightly prefer one than the other. But suppose suppose in the United game the other week, City score came through that they had one one nil or something, and there was a cheer. Yeah. I think it's. I I kind of get. If I had to choose Everton or Man United to win a league, yeah. I probably would rather Everton did because I don't live in that city. But. I'm not going to be actively like thinking, oh God, thank God Everton won. So, I'm cheering them on. I'll just be like, oh, that's, that's better of two evils. So, you know, Man City are trying to create this um, rivalry with Liverpool and Liverpool fans are very uppity with the fact that, oh, why are they trying to create this rivalry? Why are they trying to do this? And they get really defensive about it. I find it funny because I re- reckon that the Liverpool-Man United rivalry has become more intense in recent years mm-hmm. because of how many people support them in the south of the country. Mm. So you go to towns like, or cities like Gloucester, and most people in Man United are Liverpool fans. So the rivalry is more intense. Yeah. So they're not going to have that kind of tenseness with Man City because they've only just got good, but they've grown up with Liverpool fans, hating Liverpool fans from all over the country. So I think that's why this engineered rivalry has got more fiery. And we... Liverpool and Man United fans do have a, a spectacular amount of helmets. Um, yeah, they do. Whether you think... A lot of them, I do, particularly online and stuff, I kind of look at and think, I don't necessarily even treat you as actual fans. Yeah. A lot of them are either trolls or just people that think, you're obviously not very well yeah. mentally, yeah, and, and you're just writing stuff on there that I, I can't really even entertain. But, but on top of that, they do have people that are relatively normal in normal everyday life, but for whatever reason, yeah. just turn to complete helmets <laughs> when it comes to football. So, so I... If, I said before, if we had a top four of cunt fans, <laughs> United and Liverpool would be right in there, and yeah. some Spurs and Arsenal fans would probably round off the third and fourth places <laughs> quite comfortably. So the funny thing is, as well, when you come onto fans and like the, the helmet fans, is that I used to watch Arsenal and I used to think, how do you get on with these fans? Like, how, and I can see why there's such a divide in the stadium when I they see people at the yeah. games. Yeah. When I saw a bloke with um, Boom Shakalaka sixty nine on yeah. the back of his shirt and thought, just. Yeah. Take See, the take the loss away. If I just quick, so if we move a couple of things to next week, and so if we close out this week, and if we if we now just say the awful things about football fans, and we're just gonna reel them off, and yeah, we'll yeah. we'll stop. We started with a rant. Yeah. We'll end with a rant. Yeah. A good place yeah, to a, good good place to start. What are people's thoughts on the fan TV channels? Because. I know the Arsenal one is the most famous, obviously. And there was Bellerin who did, uh, he, during his uh, intellectual phase that he's going through, he did a lecture at Oxford University and they asked him on it. And he said, 
I don't understand how, as a fan, you can go out to profit from your own team's failure. And then the other side of that coin That's quite is... an intellectual statement from yeah, a professional footballer yeah. to say. And the other side of the coin is, well, if you're not losing, then they're not going to profit from it. So the one can't happen without the other. See, it's like this new age fan. It's this new age like vlogging at games. Like if I see someone if I see someone vlogging at a game and like fan TV and that kind of thing, I will smack the phone out their hand because it's just There was a bloke filming himself for the last five minutes on um, the selfie mode on his oh, phone God. yesterday while he had his mate filming the game. I it's just it's just wrong. It's on so many different levels. Like you've got I think it's Rory Jennings is the uh, famous Chelsea um, vlogger and he gets no end of abuse because that Jack- bird for Chelsea will will allow so, yeah, her to keep doing Sophie, their job. <laughs> oh, my girl Sophie yeah but Chelsea are going through quite a transitional period with fans because you're seeing a lot of the new age foreign um, kind of aren't there two a- Chelsea channels I, I, I'll be honest with you I don't I, I don't, there are. I don't indulge with it because I, I just can't stand it I find it cringy I can't physically bring myself to watch it because I watched Arsenal Fan TV and it was funny for the first season and I found it hilarious and then it just got boring even from an arrival fan seeing them go off on one it still got boring it, it got to the point where um, you're sort of trying to be outrageous with some of them it's, when it's like genuine and you can see it I've, it's entertaining because it's, it's even like, if they're nearly crying or whatever, yeah. you think I can see the raw passion of it, and some of the arguments you think I can kind of understand that. Other things you think they're being completely ridiculous, but it was entertaining. But it's when you and they they turn out a lot of content as well, and they're going with loads of different fans. And you think people are trying to get themselves on, trying to get famous here almost, yeah. which like you said, maybe something about a new age fan. And yeah. Similar with the United fan TV with the like the Andy Tate guy and stuff like that. When you first saw that, that was fucking hilarious. I was to yeah. say Christmas number one. But yeah. yeah, but then when you came you came back and and you have that was it since Fergie's gone, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it just becomes a bit um It's farcical. Creative. Uh, yeah, it? and, and that's exactly what it is. It's like you look at I used to really like watching uh, listening to Talk Sport with Agent Dunst. However, now you can see how generated and how scripted all of his opinions are to create that division. It's almost like Piers Morgan. I actually think like Jason Cundy more. No, Jason Cundy's a legend. I don't care. Like, <laughs> Jason, Jason Cundy. <laughs> He's a freak. Like, whenever I listen to the sports bar, I find him genuinely hilarious. And it's one of my favourite ones on radio. We watched the clip, David. There was a blatantly like fabricated very, clip very of, of, of him saying that uh, some blokes phoned up in the middle of the night and said oh I think my girlfriend's cheating on me <laughs> and then they get her and him live on the air and yeah. Jason Cundy starts saying you know what you need to finish with him and his smug little face yeah. I was yeah. going to say yesterday I can see I used to think it was all for attention which I still think most of it is if yesterday I'd come out of the game and you'd put a mic right in front of my face, yeah, then my reaction would have been far different to how it is yeah. today. Yeah. But I see the two sides of it. So Arsenal went away to Blackpool in the FA Cup this year. Won 2-0, I think it was. And Joe Willock, the youngster, scored two. Now they come straight out of the game. Arsenal done a good job. And one of the blokes who I'd never seen on there before has popped up and he's like, Arsenal should sell Joe Willock today where they can because his stock's never going to be higher and he's clearly not good enough to make it at Arsenal. And it's like, you are blatantly just trying to be like an internet celebrity. And it worked because then you had Ian Wright did a reaction video to it. You had all sorts from there. Some of them, I think, the issue is when they start to become a celebrity. So these people then, they start to be able to monetize their channel. There's that... Like there's like the Indian Chelsea one that you see occasionally, oh, yeah. so, and I, it's him with a selfie 
doing his finger wagging at his camera. It's like this is so blatantly yeah. like forced. So that that exact one, I know the exact yeah. one that you're on about because I see it on my timeline a lot, but I've never listened to it because I can't because I know exactly what I'm gonna I'm gonna cringe my way through. Yeah, you will. And this is what gives fans a bad name. And plus, as well, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of division between new age new age fans from all around the world and what they call yadas, the season ticket <laughs> season ticket holders. So yeah. what what I just want to say my piece on that is that they've these season ticket holders have been there since the 80s. They've probably seen Chelsea relegated into, into the second division, as it was back then. And they've stuck by their team, and they don't like Sarri. And I can see why they don't, because they're paying for entertainment if they go every week. I'd be lucky enough to get a season ticket, but in 40,000 season stadium, you ain't going to get one. But they have been there through and through. And it's all good and well waxing lyrical on Twitter and doing your selfie videos but if you're not there going home and away supporting the club and Chelsea say what you want about the home fans their away fans are one of the best in the league I think all home fans just are at yeah. a worse level than, than the away fans yeah no, that's true I, I, th- I think I think Chelsea more so than other teams I have to say because I've been to games I was lucky enough last season to get um, box tickets for the Norwich FA Cup game and I felt embarrassed to sing I was I was sat there in the boxes and I've I'd say a chant, and everyone would be looking around at me like, what are you doing? I was like, it's really a football game. Yeah, like, my, get yeah, get my, fucking grip. My whole thing is, I like doing the chanting when it's right. I've said so many times on here, I begrudge going to Arsenal two minutes into a game against Southampton and people saying, stand up if you hate Tottenham. Look, it's like Steve Gerrard song. Like- we don't need to do it. And then there was... Um, in the Thursday Valencia game, there's a group of Arsenal fans that Fair play saying, look, we're going to try and create an atmosphere in the stadium. They've written to the club so many times and said, can you put all of us in yeah. one tier? Yeah. And then that can be it. And if anyone wants to join, they can move their season to get there. And we'll try and build at least some part of the stadium. Mm. And the club has denied it so many times. So I don't why? know why. Yeah. But well, What is the downside to that? But then on Thursday, there was a group of Arsenal fans chanting their own Ale, Ale, Ale. Yeah. And it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. And there was also, they were doing sit down if you hate Tottenham. And there was several hundred fully grown blokes sitting on the floor. In the concourse. In the concourse. <laughs> to then jump up and start doing this with no. their hands saying, then stand up if you hate Tottenham. It's like, when it's forced is when I think yeah. then, because I was sitting at a palace. Like, the palace thing probably was very passionate to start with and then they got the reputation and now I couldn't think of anything worse and it might just be me than going and having to stand and jump around for 90 minutes (laughs) I'd be a wreck by the end of it the Emirates stairs do me enough I don't know if you guys saw the Frankfurt fans against Chelsea It was one of the best displays of fans I've ever seen ever in football it's just incredible the noise they generated the energy the, the graphics it was just that's what a football stadium should be. It shouldn't be you, 50, 60 pound a ticket. It should be 15 you've been to pound Dor- a ticket. You've been to Dortmund, haven't you? Yeah. So was, uh, me and Langston were speaking to another lad who'd been, and he said that it was a myth, this atmosphere not, of the Yellow Wall. The yellow but he wall did is, concede that it was at the end of the season when it was kind of decided. I went mid-season, I went in a December game, and it was just honestly one of the best experiences ever. It was, you just I'm glad because it put me off a bit and um, me and TK in particular were speaking about uh, doing it next season and it's worth it, it did kind of like dip me down S- a bit. Spend the money on it because it's totally worth it. It's like football like you've never experienced in a way because it's like, you know, Anfield, it's, it's a bit of a myth 
I and mean, I tell you for why it's a bit of a myth. It's because they all sing You Never Walk Alone at the beginning of the game. And don't get me wrong, that's giving me goosebumps at the time. You know, that's that's really something special. I don't know why they're just catchy. But then, yeah. <laughs> but then, it, can, it has its silent times, just like any other football stadium. So it's like, it's one of those that... that, that the game's only as good as the fans make it sometimes. Yeah, I think similar probably to the situation with the Dortmund game. If you went to one, a certain game at Anfield, yeah. you would be like, what is all the fuss about? Yeah, exactly. But if you do get to a certain game, you'd be thinking, that's the best one I've ever been to. But then, uh, is that just more... Game. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah. That one would be... You'd come away from thinking, I've never heard anything like it. But yeah. is that maybe... You're just going on the quality of the game then? Are you? It's, but, I mean, when you get a stadium bouncing, it, it you can never get an experience like it. The fan, The players on the pitch should give the fans something to jump around about yeah. like that game yesterday it would be ridiculous if Arsenal fans are flinging themselves about <laughs> for 90 minutes while drawing one or Brighton it but wouldn't be genuine could you yeah but could you not argue that that could raise the team to a point where they've they would have it's, got a winner? It's, it's tried it they've tried it before I think Arsenal this it's the same as you see with a lot of the top European clubs you have so many tourists there that yeah. you're never going to get it so that's yeah. why it makes sense to get them all in, in the one place yeah. But and also, if you, you make the argument, oh, like family and stuff, can't well, you know where the the atmosphere stuff's going to be. So if you want to go somewhere a bit like more family oriented, you can go there. If, I if never you, get why clubs wouldn't want that. To if you think what I've said there about Arsenal not putting everyone in one block is ridiculous, yeah, yeah, Arsenal yeah. have the family enclosure next to the away fans. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so yeah, explain that. It's one of the weirdest things I've seen in football when we're talking about sections of stands. I went to watch Leeds versus Fulham in the Championship a couple of seasons ago with my mate because he had a spare ticket and I thought it was a game of football. Yeah. And they have a neutral stand next to the away stand. Yeah. So right. I was sat in the neutral stand. And it was the weirdest atmosphere yeah. ever because you had loads of people from all around London just watching this game. <laughs> and then half of it were Leeds fans as well. So you're just giving more ticket allocation to an away. It is infectious once once people get started. I've been to um, a Newcastle away game uh, with Luca, I think we all know. Mm. And that one there was so much that because everyone else is doing it, it's, you don't even really feel forced to. You just want to be involved yeah. with everyone else. And that was that Swansea away. So it wasn't like a <laughs> yeah. big a yeah. big one. So I think the fan culture is it's going to get worse because for one, people want to do things just to get noticed. We're in that kind of time where if you can... I mean, we, a, bo- a boxing show at the weekend... Uh, a bird, not even a, a horrifically looking one, a, de- a decent looking bird, for a couple of clicks on social media, has stripped off and ran around the arena completely stark naked in Newcastle. <laughs> Likely for a couple of, look how, look how yeah. daring I am. Yeah. And people are just going to, that's what that film Nerve was, wasn't it? Where it was, yeah. how much are you going to keep going? And the, 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 the fans, I think, it's going to get worse before it gets better because... Nobody really wants to see someone shoot in for doing something ridiculous, but at the same time, at Arsenal you get away fans coming in the home end, and then I do think when people say, "Oh, you let him do that," that it's not really a better example for twenty blokes to shoo in a bloke because he said, "Come on, Salah!" In the uh... (laughs) there was a similar clip with when Chelsea won away. um, No, there was the one at Spurs. I was on about because they won away at Spurs at Wembley. I think it was in the League Cup and the Carabao Cup. And um, there was just this one Chelsea fan shouting, you've won fuck all, <laughs> to, th- to thousands and thousands and thousands of Tottenham fans waiting to exit the ground. And they're all just looking over. 
And back in the day of, this is when your dad does come into it, whereas you could get away with shooing someone in at a football game and running away. But with CCTV the way it is in London these days... There was a Liverpool fan that got shooed in at the Spurs game. There was yeah. a Liverpool fan that yeah. sat in the away and wondered why, when he was cheering and jumping up and yeah. down. Yeah. It's like I when I went to Chelsea versus West Brom under Conte first season... <laughs> I the the game where we won the league. You I lost was, a bloke season ticket. Yeah, exactly. So I went in the home end because my mate could get his tickets. So we were sat right at the front, and the go, like the tenseness. We were like saying to each other, "Well, we're not going to celebrate." We're not, this, this was to win the yeah, league, wasn't it? Exactly. This was to win. Was like this late. was the win to win the league, and I get to witness my team winning the league. So we're saying we're not going to celebrate. We're not going to celebrate. And as the game got on, it was tense and tenser and tenser and tenser, and they got to the eighty sixth minute. And then Michi Bashawai pops up. Michi Bashawai pops up with this winner. And I lose all control. And that's what football's all about. You lose control. And I was jumping around at the front of the stadium in the home end with my mate. And the next thing I know, I've been grabbed on the back of the shoulder by a student being dragged out backwards. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and then I've got the entire stand that I was in going mental at me. He's like, hey, he's Chelsea, he's Chelsea. And started throwing stuff at me. And so I... I then had to just be dragged backwards by this dude, giving it the V's and <laughs> screaming, we've just won the fucking league. <laughs> in, in, in front of like four-year-old children who are just there with their family. So this, you, that's where you've got to think, where do you take it too far? Or have I just taught those four-year-old a lesson in football fandom? <laughs> on that note, we'll have to uh, wrap this up on this Bank Holiday Monday. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Spitballing Pod. We'll have more coming next week. We've gone a bit over today. Everyone wanted to, uh, well, all of our teams, I think we all had a bit of something to say. So if you want any additional content, check out www.spitballingpod.com. If you could give us a like, share, repost and all that business and we'll be back. Thank you.